Well, I invite you to please rise for the call to worship. The call to worship this morning is from Psalm 119, verses 89 through 91. Lambda, forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth, and it stands fast. By your appointment they stand this day, for all things are your servants. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father, how wonderful you are. You are the creator. Everything that has been made, you have made it. You have spoken into existence to give you all glory. Father, we pray that you'd enable us to give you all praise, glory, and honor, to worship you, to lift up your name, to exalt your Son, Jesus Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Christ's glorious name, amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I invite you to sing with me number 249, 249, for the beauty of the earth.
be seated. For our time of confession and pardon, I'll be reading from Psalm 1. Psalm 1. Psalm 1, starting at verse Blessed is the man who walks, not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father, how wonderful you are, how good, how gracious. And how amazing is your care to us. Oh, Father, we again are confronted in your word to be people who stand in your truth, who stand firm in the faith. Father, we pray that you would lead us and guide us. Father, we pray that you would protect us. Help us, oh Lord, not to go the way of the deceptions of this world. Help us to be people of the truth. Father, we pray that you would help us not to to walk in the counsel of the wicked, to not stand in the way of sinners and seat ourselves in the midst of scoffers, but to delight in, stand in, speak, think, and live according to your law, and your word. Father, again, we want to humble ourselves before you and to take this time to confess to you those times where we, we conducted ourselves more according to our flesh than the Holy Spirit, where we looked more to the world than to you and your word for comfort or peace or pleasure or security. So, Father, we want to take this time to again confess to you those sins of thought, word, and action over this last week. We confess these to you now in our hearts and in our minds.
Psalm 1, verse 4. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Know this, that if you trust and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've been given the gifts of repentance and faith indwelt by the Holy Spirit, know this, that you have been forgiven. You are dearly loved by your heavenly Father, and he will hold you in his righteous right hand. In Christ's glorious name, amen. amen. For our confession of faith, we continue in the third and fourth points of doctrine, looking at human corruption, conversion to God, and the way it occurs. And this morning, we find ourselves in Article 12. Article 12. Speaking of regeneration, new birth, through the power of the Holy Spirit. So I invite you to read with me Article 12, Regeneration, a Supernatural Work. And this is the regeneration, the new creation, the raising from the dead, and the making alive so clearly proclaimed in the Scriptures which God works in us without our help. But this certainly does not happen only by outward teaching, by moral persuasion, or by such a way of working that after God has done his work, it remains in man's power whether or not to be reborn or converted. Rather, it is an entirely supernatural work one that is at the same time most powerful and most pleasing, a marvelous, hidden, and inexpressible work, which is not lesser than or inferior in power to that of creation or of raising the dead. As Scripture, inspired by the author of this work, teaches, as a result all those in whose hearts God works in this marvelous way are certainly, unfailingly, and effectively reborn and do actually believe. And then the will, now renewed, is not only activated and motivated by God, but in being activated by God is also itself active. For this reason... Man himself, by that grace which he has received, is also said to believe and to repent. What amazing statement on salvation by God's sovereign grace, mercy, and love. If you trust and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's because God called you your name when you were dead like Lazarus. And you came forth in his power, according to his will, for his glory. What an amazing statement of salvation by grace alone. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we thank you. 
We thank you for, again, the opportunity to gather. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Oh, Father, we thank you that you have placed the sin of those who trust and believe in your son. You've placed our sin onto him on the cross. That through the full payment for our sins, that his righteousness would be credited to us. Oh, Father, how amazing is your grace, mercy, and love. That your son, Jesus Christ, would pay the full penalty of our sin. That he would bear the wrath that we deserve. That he would be forsaken. That we could be forgiven. Oh, Father, there's no greater truth, greater love, greater peace and joy and hope than is found in your gospel. So, Father, we pray that you would fill our hearts and minds with the truth of this gospel, that we are saved by the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, his crucifixion. Well, Father, we pray that you would help us as we consider your gospel to live lives of gratitude and thanksgiving singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another, rejoicing in the midst of every circumstance, knowing that whatever tribulation, for your son said, in this world we will have tribulation, knowing that no matter what tribulation, what strife, what pain, what suffering, that these things are not even worthy to be compared to the surpassing glory of the return of your son, Jesus Christ. So, Father, we pray that you would fix our hearts, our minds, our eyes on your son, Jesus Christ. Fix our minds on things above, not things below. Oh, Father, we pray that you would remind us that our most blessed hope, what we long for the most, is for your son to return and for us to be raised in new resurrection bodies, so that we could sin no more. No more pain, no more suffering, and all of God's people would be together to stand before you, to look upon your face, to see your Son, Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, how glorious and how wonderful. So, Father, we pray that you'd continue to strengthen us and guide us. Help us to be kingdom-minded, focused on the coming kingdom of your Son, Jesus Christ. Remind us, O Lord, that our citizenship is in heaven. Help us, O Lord, to stay true to your word and your gospel. O Father, we thank you. We thank you for the tremendous opportunities that we have to worship, gather so publicly in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world who, who do not have such freedom and opportunity. Oh, Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ in Afghanistan, Iran and Iraq, Syria, 
Throughout those regions, oh Lord, where there are underground hidden churches, people whispering psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, passing your words back and forth on slips of paper to be disposed of before being caught. Oh, Father, we thank you that your gospel continues to spread. You continue to call your elect in areas where there is such persecution and hatred toward your son. Oh, Father, we pray that you'd strengthen your church. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ in North Korea, in re-education camps, facing torture and the loss of their life. Oh, Father, we pray that you would hold them in your hand, that you would strengthen them and guide them. Father, we thank you for your gospel continues to spread, that the darkness will not overcome the light. Father, we pray for Reverend Mihai Korse. We pray for him and his wife and their son. Father, we pray that you continue to strengthen them, strengthen that, that church there. Oh, Father, we thank you for how the light shines in the midst of the darkness and how you continue to call and draw your elect through the faithful preaching of your gospel. So, Father, we pray that you would continue to strengthen and be with our missionary there. We thank you for your love for him and his congregation. Oh, Father, we pray for the United States of America. Oh, Father, we pray that your light would shine in the midst of the darkness. We pray for those who are in positions of power and authority over us. Oh, Father, we pray that you'd give them eyes to see, ears to hear, the truth of your word, the truth of your gospel. Father, we pray for the lost. Oh, Lord, the only hope is the proclamation of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit to bring people from death to life. So, Father, we pray that that would be first and foremost the proclamation of your gospel. Father, we pray for our congregation that you continue to strengthen and guide us. Help us to be united, united in the truth, united in love for you, love for one another. Oh, Father, we pray that you'd help us to strengthen and encourage, build each other up in your truth and in your love. Father, we do continue to lift up to you, Ruth's mother, as she's in the midst of her cancer treatment. Father, we pray that you would be her strength, her comfort, her peace in the midst of this time. Father, we do lift up to you, Wendy Lou's mother, as she continues this long recovery of, of her fall and, and injury to her hip. Oh, Father, we pray that you would continue to grow her in the faith, be her peace and strength. We also lift up to you her sister-in-law, Didi. Oh, Father, as she continues in her cancer treatment. Oh, Father, we pray that she would know your truth, your peace. Father, we pray for her brother, Andy, oh Lord, that he would know the truth of your gospel for their daughters in this most difficult time. We lift up that whole family, Lord. Father, we pray that you would just continue to strengthen us and guide us. Father, we pray, we pray for our families. We pray for children, grandchildren, 
great-grandchildren, oh Lord, that they would know you, that they would love you, that they would serve you with their lives. Father, we pray that they would know and love you. Father, we do lift up to you, Deborah, in the midst of her illness. Father, we pray for healing and comfort and strength. Oh, Father, we just lift her up to you. Father, we continue to to look to you to be the source of peace and hope and comfort. You are our life and our everything. And it's because of your faithfulness that we say the prayer that our Savior tossed to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The passage of scripture we're looking at this morning is Acts 17, verses 10 through 14. So I invite you to please rise and read with me Acts chapter 17, starting at verse 10. Acts chapter 17, starting at verse 10. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. But Silas and Timothy remained there. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. Your word is all authoritative, inerrant and infallible, all sufficient, living and active, breathed out by you. Oh, Father, we pray that you would grow us in wisdom and discernment through the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, Father, We are absolutely dependent on you for to know the truth, to know the way, to know the life that is in your son, Jesus Christ, is to be set free. In Christ's glorious name, amen. You may be seated. At this time, I'd like to invite any children who'd like to up to the front row.
Excellent. Well, I have a question for you. How can you make sure when someone tells you something that they're speaking something that is true rather than false? Yes, sir. Where do you go? Okay, so you could ask him more, try to examine more. How about, is there another source you could go to to see if it matches up? Where do you go to? Okay, someone you trust. So someone tells you something, so you can go to parent guardian and say, hey, my friend told me this. Is this true? Is this, is this false? What is it? Oh, that's very good. So usually you go to a, an authority, someone who you trust and someone who you look up to. Well, the passage of scripture we're looking at today is all about the Apostle Paul speaking the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for those who would trust and believe in him. And in Berea, where we are, if you heard when we did the scripture, where did the people go to see if what Paul said was right or wrong? What did they search? Did they search Google? No, they didn't have that then. They searched the scriptures. They went to the Bible. And every time Paul said something, they flipped through the Bibles and said, is this true according to God's word? And Paul says, that's how we know what's true. So I encourage you in your life to know the Bible, to trust the Bible. And when someone tells you something, make sure that it is what the Bible says. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and your love. We pray that you would help us to trust in your son, Jesus Christ, as our Savior, and trust in your word, the Bible, as what is true. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. You guys head back to your seats. Excellent. Well, if you turn to Acts 17, we're going to look again at the context here of our passage. We start in at verse 10. In verse 10, we have Paul and Silas being sent away at night in the dark of night. They are fleeing a danger. So let's look again at this danger. So that's Acts 17. So this is where we find Paul, Silas, and Timothy in Thessalonica. So Acts 17, verse 2. So they're in Thessalonica. And Paul went in, as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. And saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And we looked at different Old Testament prophecies pointing to that most particular to Isaiah 53, 
which is as clear as can be that the Messiah must be the substitutionary atonement. He must be the sacrifice that brings forgiveness of sin for those who would trust and believe in him. He has to die. His blood must be shed. He has to bear the full penalty of the sins of those whom God will save. Not only that, but he will face the full wrath of God. As Isaiah 53 says, he will be crushed for our iniquity. It will please God to crush him, to place his wrath on him so that we could have forgiveness and life. Acts 17, verse 4. And some of them, so there was a group of Jews who were saved, and some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. So the majority of the people saved in that initial proclamation of the gospel in Thessalonica were Greeks, were Gentiles. That was the most dominant forming of that church. So verse 5, but the Jews, now this is describing that majority of the Jews who did not convert to Christianity, who were not saved, but the Jews were jealous. There it is. Because what just happened, a large number, a great many, most of the Greek God-fearing Gentiles who were connected with the synagogue followed Paul. So they lost that entire segment. Many of the wealthy women in the community, the leading women of stature, came to Christianity. So they were jealous. But the Jews were jealous. And taking some of the wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who, are tur- who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another King Jesus. So what these Jews do in Thessalonica is the same thing. The Sanhedrin, the scribes, religious leaders, the Pharisees in Jerusalem did to bring about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. That's the same thing they told Pilate. We have no king but Caesar And anyone who would allow Jesus to live is no friend of Caesar, as he claims to be a king. Verse 8, And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. So during this whole scene, we're not told where and we're not told how, but Paul and Silas and Timothy were in hiding. They were kept away from this mob and this riot. They were taken out of Jason's house where they were staying, and they were being protected by this very young, three-week-old church 
of new converts to Christianity. And that's where we find verse 10. So this is where Paul, Silas, and Timothy then were sent that night of the mob and riot. This is how they got out of the city. So that's where we are in verse 10. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Isn't that amazing? you You just stop and be amazed, especially after an incident like that. In the first and now second missionary journey, the apostle Paul If there is a synagogue, he always first goes to the synagogue. And through the first first and second missionary journeys, he is beaten, he is imprisoned, he is mocked, he is scorned, he is hated, and attempts are made at his life by Jews from these synagogues, city after city after city. This is what it means that you have died. This is what the Apostle Paul said, that he has died and it is Christ who lives in him. The only life he has anymore on this heaven and earth is a life of complete service to Christ, that he would give his life for the proclamation of the gospel and for the growing up of God's people in truth. So here we have the Apostle Paul. Now he is the Apostle to the Gentiles. Remember, Peter is the Apostle to the Jews, and Paul is the Apostle to the Gentiles. But Paul has a burden, he has a love, and salvation comes through the Jews. He first goes to the Jews. So that's what we see him doing again in Berea. So that's verse 10. Verse 11 You have an amazing statement on the character of the Jews in Berea in contrast to Thessalonica. This is one of the sharpest contrasts in the book of Acts. It's verse 11. Now these Jews, speaking of the Jews at the synagogue in Berea, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with eagerness. That's a very important statement because what's going on here is these Jews in Thessalonica are still hungry and thirsty. They're still eager and seeking the fulfillment of God's prophecies given in the Old Testament. Now that's a contrast to the Jews during the time of Christ, who all they sought to do was kill Jesus. Why? Because all they were hungry and thirsty for was their earthly lives, especially the Pharisees. Of their power over the people, of their hypocrisy, their presumption, they were living for this earth. So so they weren't really that eager for the fulfillment of these things that could take away their power, their privilege, and expose their hypocrisy. But these Jews in Berea, they were eager. They were looking to God. They were hungry and thirsty for the promises of God to be fulfilled, for the coming of the Messiah to bring about salvation. 
So that's what we see here in 11. They receive the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. I just love that image. The apostle Paul would come to the synagogue and he would teach and he would reason from the scripture and he would proclaim Jesus Christ crucified, that he was the son of God. He lived a perfect holy life and that on the cross, he was the sin bearer. He satisfied God's wrath for those who would trust and believe in him. And he died. But on the third day, he raised from the dead. And he has ascended into heaven. He's at the right hand of the Father. So Paul would preach and teach. And after Paul would leave the synagogue, all through the day, what would they do? They would examine every teaching, every statement, and make sure it was what the scripture says it was. That is a eagerness, a hunger and desire to be in the truth, to grow in the truth, to, to know the love of God, to love God and seek him with all one's heart, mind, soul, and strength. So you see what God is doing here in Berea. It's a powerful, powerful display of how God has a remnant of people. And here we see this remnant of Jews in Thessalonica. He's giving a heart and a mind and eyes to see and ears to hear. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. So as Paul teaches and preaches, the word is made alive and they're, they're just eager to know and be in the truth. So what's the outcome of this? Verse 12, many of them therefore believed. And this is a contrast. This is a sharp contrast to every other encounter of the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts. This is a very sharp contrast. So here is a community, the community of Berea, where the majority of the synagogue, most of the Jews in that community, they came to Christ. They believed. They trusted. The Holy Spirit gave them hearts to believe and eyes to see, and the word was living and active, and they were saved. It's an amazing statement. Amazing reality here. But it wasn't just that. Verse 12, many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. So here's another instance where some of the key most powerful in leadership or economics or government or society came to Christ in that community. So you have that whole group of people, you have a large number of them coming to Christ. But the story doesn't end there. Starting in verse 13, we get Thessalonica mentioned again. And this is just how bad was Thessalonica in comparison to Berea? How bad? They weren't content with just trying to kill, steal, and destroy the gospel and the things of Christ and the teaching of Paul there, they're taken on the road. So here you have a mass mob parade going from Thessalonica and engulfing Berea. So that's what we have in verse 13. 
But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. And then verse 14 ends the same way verse 10 begins. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. But here's the difference. But Silas and Timothy remained there. Paul at this point was the main brunt of the hostility, hatred, and anger. So they got Paul out of there. But there is enough of these Jewish believers and these prominent people that Silas and Timothy were able to stay and keep growing that young church in the truth and in the word of God. So we see the sharp contrast there between Thessalonica and Berea. And this teaches us something about our own lives in Christ, our own hunger and desire for the word, eagerness to be in the word and live according to the truth of God. And to help us understand this contrast, it's the same contrast that Jesus taught. So if you could... If you would turn in your Bibles first to John 5, here we're going to see where Jesus laid out the entire foundation of what's happening in Acts 17, verses 10 through 14, this contrast between Thessalonica and Berea. And this is going to be very helpful for us as Lord willing, we go through first and second Thessalonians. That's what all this preparation acts is for that sermon series of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. So we have to understand some of these vital important things stated in Acts because Paul's going to keep referencing back to these in those two letters. So John chapter 5. Here we see where Jesus speaks of this contrast between those who are eager for God's word, the fulfillment of God's word, whose hope and peace, they're seeking the things of God and his promises, his covenants, versus those who are merely living for the things of this earth. You see the work of the spirit and God's word in this. It's it's John 5, John 5, starting at verse 37. So we see where Jesus is the sent one, and then the apostle Paul then is the apostle sent by Christ. And we see the parallels here. So John 5, verse 37. This is Jesus speaking. And the father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. He's speaking to the Jews here. Verse 38, and you do not have his word abiding in you. That's the indictment. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. That's a powerful statement right there. Verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. So these are people who know or read or study the scriptures, but they're doing it 
to justify their own presumption, their own self-righteousness, to inflate their own pride and for their own hypocrisy. They use the word of God looking for all the loopholes and exceptions that they try to write into it. And they use it as a way to justify themselves. And that's the indictment that Jesus is bringing against them. And that's the same indictment that Paul's bringing against those in Thessalonica who continue to oppose the word. Verse 40 of John 5, Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Now, why would anyone refuse to come to Jesus if he's the source of life? Because to come to Jesus means you die. You die to yourself. We die to our earthly self. We die to our flesh. We die to the things of this world that we are now slaves of Christ. We are no longer God of our own lives. We are no longer the main authority or power over our own life. To come to Christ means we submit. We submit to Jesus Christ in everything. Again, verse 40, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Verse 41, I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. And here's the contrast. If, in, if another comes in his own name, you will receive him. Now there's a contrast, and that's going to be the main contrast Paul speaks of in the church. This is what happened in, first, in uh, the church in Corinth. This is what happened in Galatia is that these false teachers, false prophets would come in teaching in their name and teaching things that appealed to the flesh of those in the church. And they would peddle these things and people would receive them well enough. But when a true apostle, true prophet comes in, correcting, rebuking, exhorting with the truth of God's word, they would push them back because that wasn't what they wanted to hear. It's the same thing being described here by Jesus in John 5. Again, verse 44. How can you believe me when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? There it is. There's again a key vital contrast between the saved and the unsaved, between those who have been given new hearts and minds through the power of the Holy Spirit and those who continue in the hardness of their heart. Where are you seeking your glory? Where are you seeking your praise? Is it from others? Is it from this world? Or is it from God alone? John 5 verse 45 do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, 
How will you believe my words? A powerful statement that Jesus is exposing there. And Jesus is exposing there the problem with the majority of the Jews in synagogue of Thessalonica. But he's also exposing the problem with all those who continue to refuse to believe and trust and have faith, who oppose the gospel, oppose the things of God, because they're still in the blindness of their eyes and the hardness of their hearts, living for the things of this earth rather than the things of Christ. They'd rather have the glory of this world than the glory of Jesus Christ. They'd rather find their pleasure according to their fallen flesh than living according to the Holy Spirit. And they'd rather submit and give their power over to anyone who had promised them the things of this earth rather than to die to themselves and submit to the one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, which means the end of their earthly, fleshy life. Well, this continues on. This has to do with glory. Again, now if you turn to John 7, you see where he picks up this argument of glory. Seeing this contrast, we see this is the contrast between Thessalonica and Berea. This is the contrast between those who are truly regenerate through the power of the Holy Spirit and those who are merely living a self-deluded act. They're wearing a mask. So we see this, this again, this is being pointed out. So John 7, starting at verse 16, verse 16. So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon. Again, one of these ironic, amazing moments where the crowd claims that Jesus is demonically possessed, that he is evil and of the devil. That's what they're saying. The crowd answered, you have a demon who is seeking to kill you. That's how they're trying to cover themselves up. So now you go to John 8, verse 37. Here's where he picks up that statement. John 8, 37. Again, Jesus speaking to the Jews. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, according to the flesh. We're going to see a distinction made here. Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. See, that's the difference between the Thessalonica and Berea. Verse 38, I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do what you have learned from your father. 
They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? And here's the key. Verse 47 is what chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8 have been building up to. Here's your climactic statement of all that this is building to. It's verse 47. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. That's it. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. That's what it all comes down to. Whether you're of God or not of God. That's what it all comes down to. That's where Jesus from John 5, 6, 7, 8, that's what he's building up to that verse. That's, that's the climactic verse of those four chapters building up to. So the question is, how do you be of God? Because that's your only hope. That's your only life. That's your only salvation. That's everything. If you're not of God, all that lays before you is eternal conscious torment, wrath, condemnation, hell. So you want to be of God. That's everything. So how are you of God? You're of God when God the Father has foreknown you, has predestined you, has elected you from eternity past, you're, you're of God when Christ on the cross dies for your sins. He pays the full penalty of your sins and satisfies the wrath of God on your behalf. You're of God when the Holy Spirit comes and brings you from death to life and gives you eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to believe, and minds to understand the gifts of repentance and faith, that's how someone is of God. It's through the sovereign work of God according to his grace, mercy, and love in the power of the Spirit because of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And as we saw in Article 12 of Regeneration, of the canons of Dort, when you are of God, through the new heart you've been given, 
you will believe. You will repent. You will have faith. And you're held accountable for that faith, that repentance, and that belief. That's what it is to be of God. So one of the key ways to examine, am I of God or not, is which synagogue are you a part of? Thessalonica or Berea? This is what it comes down to in Acts 10. If you're of God, that means you hunger and thirst for the word. That God's word is your truth. That you are eager to please God, to know his word, to live according to his word, even if it could cost you everything of this earth. Because you know in God you have life, freedom, truth, peace, and everything that is good. So that's one of the most vital realities of understanding pointed out to us in Acts 17. We already looked at Psalm 1 earlier in the service, but for me, one of the best parallel statements on this contrast between Thessalonica and Berea is Psalm 119. So I encourage you to please turn to Psalm 119. And we're going to be looking at verses 89 to 105. Again, Psalm 119 uses the Hebrew alphabet as a way to give God glory, praise, and honor of every letter of the alphabet. So not only does each section begin with a letter of the alphabet, but then each of the stanzas, the phrases, begin with that letter. That's the structure of Psalm 119. So we're going to be looking at Lambda and Mim, those two letters, the the descriptions there. So Psalm 119, starting at verse 89. Lambda. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. By your appointment, they stand this day for all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours, save me, for I have sought your precepts. This is the eagerness described of the church in Berea. This is that eagerness. This is the work of God through the Spirit, giving them this desire that we find in Psalm 119. Again, verse 94, I am yours, save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. And then now, Mim, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies. 
for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. And then, Nun, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That is what it means to be made alive to the power of the Holy Spirit through the proclamation of the word. Where you know that Jesus is your Savior, He is your Lord, He is the reason of your forgiveness and life, and God's word is your standard of truth and standard of authority. To submit to Christ is to submit to the authority of his word. To submit to the word is to submit to the apostolic teaching of the apostles, the doctrines, the the, the truths laid out for us in God's word. It's to submit within the confines of a local church. It's to submit to one another. It's to submit in all these spheres where we are looking to the authority of Christ and not exalting ourselves in any form of pride or rebellion. It's complete submission to Christ and his gospel and his word is what sets us free and nothing else will. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we thank you. Father, we pray that you would help us to be like the Bereans eager, searching, seeking to live according to your word, knowing that in your word alone we find life and freedom and truth and joy. So, Father, we pray that you would make us people of your word. Help us to know and understand your word, to live according to your word, to proclaim your word. Oh, Father, we pray that you would protect us from the lies and distortions of those who would seek to take away or add to or discredit your word. Father, we pray that you'd keep us, guard us, and guide us in the faith. In Christ's glorious name, amen. Well, I invite you to please rise and sing with me number 243, How Firm a Foundation, You Saints of the Lord. God's Word is our foundation. Saints of the Lord. 
receive the benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I invite you to close with me with the Gloria Patria. Peace.